You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross, your host, and this is episode number 199. I have a great guest today. His name is Jerry Valentine, and he inspires people to build resilience, overcome setbacks, and understand that adversity can be a source of opportunity. Jerry is an executive coach and public speaker and author of a new book, The Thriving Mindset, Tools for Empowerment in a Disruptive World. With over 27 years of Fortune 100 leadership experience, he is a trusted advisor to corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and high-performance individuals of all kinds. And I am so excited to welcome you, Jerry. Hi, Kirsten. It's so great to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. And, um, you know, I'm not sure there's a better time to talk about a thriving mindset in a disruptive world because, wow, has the world been disrupted lately? Yeah, just just (laughs) a little bit, huh? (laughs) I mean, if there's been a time where I have been able to see, though, and celebrate the tenacity and the resilience of human beings and entrepreneurs, it is now. So perfect timing to talk to you. Yeah, it's great. It's so great to be here. So, you know, it, it, my, my book coming out, like right as we are hopefully towards the end of a global pandemic is, is fortuitous because it's actually not a book about COVID. It's a project I started working on a couple of years ago because my, my history is actually all about thriving through disruptive times. And it, it's the center of gravity in my coaching practice. I, I try to make it the center of gravity in my life, as a matter of fact. And, um, you know, I'm finishing up the book and then we, we head into COVID. And I actually spent a couple of months thinking about, wow, the, so all the concepts I talk about in the book, are they, are they equal to the challenges of the moment? And where I came down was they are, because the, 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 the thing that I believe very strongly is that disruption is an unavoidable part of life. It, it is a natural part of being a human being. You know, sometimes there are smaller disruptions like the loss of a job or you know, a, a business running into running into difficulty. Other times there are major disruptions like, oh, I don't know, like the, a global pandemic. But the this notion that disruption is a normal part of life. And I believe that disruption also also brings always brings with it opportunity, um, no matter what the scale of the disruption there's always opportunity on the other side. Um, some people will be broken by disruption. Other people will break records because of the disruption they have encountered. And what I've learned over my journey is that this this idea of being able to thrive through disruption is a teachable and a learnable skill. It's something we can all become better at. And that's the objective of my book and the objective of my work, giving people the tools they need to be empowered at times of disruption and to leverage the opportunity 
that also always comes with the disruption. So great. And, uh, you know, I've thought about like during this period, and I'm sure whether it's speaking from a stage or working with clients, I know we all go go through those. Um, we're working to motivate people to make the change that we can already see is necessary. And, you know, and you have to ignite that motivation. And sometimes it's through cautionary tales of others. And, and sometimes it's through helping them gain some self-awareness of their own circumstance. But boy, this pandemic has given us a yeah. very real and recent <laughs> illustration yeah, it's, it's, of it's um... very, it, of what of what this means but you yeah. know one, one of the things I read a very interesting article actually while I was preparing for my my preparing and doing research for my book it was it was actually about how pandemics change society and you know certainly this is not the first pandemic that our species has experienced it's the first one within a century but it's not it's 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 not the first time. And there was real a really interesting story I read about um, the Black Plague in Europe, um, and which you know decimated the population far more so than you know than COVID nineteen has um, has around the world. And as, as terrible as it was, there were a number of innovations that came out of the plague. So one was the popularity uh, or the, the, the breakthrough in printing and the printed word. And the, the, a reason that we now believe is that prior to the advent of the printing press, books were scribed. And, you know, the, the book that was scribed the most was, it was obviously the Bible. That was where there was greatest demand. And it took a great deal of manpower to scribe a book. So you have a plague and suddenly you don't have scribes. Mm. So you have a gap. And what happened with that gap was that printing became far more ubiquitous because there was demand. And so we can think of that as, okay, so there was terrible adversity, terrible disruption. And that also led to a gap, which was opportunity. And Something that is, you know, an information technology, which is the printed word, I think some of the same types of leveraging the opportunity that comes out of disruption today. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see the shifts. I know, I mean, we all knew about Zoom, but now everybody's talking about Zoom meetings. And I have to laugh because I, I, I was ahead of my time a bit in a business that I'd started all the way back in the 1990s to help women find professional flexible work. And I was also sharing policies about, we call it teleworking back then and job sharing. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was, you know, you had to teach, I was constantly teaching the concepts of, you know, the opportunity to save money with office space. <laughs> and now oh. this, this uh, pandemic has has pushed people to, you know, work in their homes and lead teams remotely. And um, I believe are rethinking how they're going to be oh, using yeah. commercial space going forward. What are your thoughts Absolutely. on that? Many, many, yeah, many companies are looking at that. There are a number of articles right now about large companies that are rethinking their commercial footprint. I live in New York City, and so real estate here is very, is very, very expensive. And companies are thinking about, so what is the purpose of an office? Do we really need the same space for people to go to every day or can it be more of a hoteling space? So there, there, there's lots of rethinking going on around that. And the, the impetus to this, you know, you, you made me think about it, Kirsten, about, you know, how do you how do you get people and, you know, whether it's single individuals or maybe an entire company to think about those 
teaching moments, how, how we can thrive, where, how do we find the opportunity? One of, one of the things that I think is central to that, that fortunately I'm seeing a lot of going on around me right now, is something I, I, I talk about in the book. I call it the adversity fear paralysis cycle and a concept of courageous leaps. And, and here's how it works. So whenever we're faced with the, the disruption or the adversity that comes with disruption, the, the normal response to that is fear. And it's a fear that we are not going to be equal to whatever the demands of the disruption are. And there's, there's nothing wrong with being afraid. The, the question is, what do you do when you're afraid? And the problem emerges when that fear turns into what I call a type of paralysis, which is an inability to deal productively with the disruption. And the problem with paralysis is that it always leads to more disruption. Either the initial gets worse or a new adversity or disruption arises. So here, here's an example. It's, it's, a, it's a corporate one. So um, Eastman Kodak, um, well-known company that went bankrupt in 2012. Now, many people would say that it was because of digital photography. But what most people don't know is that the first digital camera was invented by a Kodak engineer back in 1975. Did, did you know that? I did not know that. Yes, I'm yeah. intrigued. Okay, I'll, continue. I'll <laughs> and so you know, it, it, it raises the question, how could this possibly happen? How could a company be driven by, to bankruptcy by its own invention? And the, the reason is that cycle, the adversity fear paralysis cycle hit. Um, when Kodak's leaders were presented with a disruptive technology, which was digital photography, they responded with fear, fear of change. So at that time, Kodak was led by men who'd spent a career in the chemically-based photography business. Back in the day, for those of us who were old enough to remember, you often took your pictures on Kodak film mm -hmm. with a Kodak camera. Yep. You took that film to the drugstore where it was developed in Kodak chemicals, and then you got your pictures back on what? Kodak paper. So this notion of digital photography brought the, the idea of disrupting the Kodak value chain at every step. And so the, the reaction internally was to turn away from this disruptive change. And there was the, the engineer, his name is Steve Sasson, who invented the digital camera. There was a, an article on him in The Times not long ago where he spoke about like what these early days were like and the fact that he could not get anyone to listen to him. And he, he eventually, in desperation, started going around the company trying to talk about the fact that this invention was not just about pictures, that it might mean someday we could send photographs over the phone line. Now uh, think about that. Like, yeah. Like, so yeah, we all know how the story ended, right? The product did eventually get into the digital photography business, but it was too late. The, you know, the competition had developed an insurmountable lead by that point. And, and the, the lesson in this story was about that fear place. So when we feel that fear that comes at a time as, of disruption, we can also think about it as a signal that we're standing in front of an opportunity. And we can learn to use that fear as kind of a springboard to leap out of that cycle and towards the opportunity. And in the book, I call that taking a courageous leap towards opportunity. And I think that like understanding when we're in that cycle and being able to see those courageous leaps when we're in that place of fear, that's how you get people to rethink where they are 
and to actually leap towards that innovation. I love that illustration so much. And I did not know that story. And um, I always say so similar. So you are talking about leap towards the opportunity. And uh, I am constantly what I see in clients, I'm sure you see this. So I tell it, if you're running from fear, you might be running willy nilly, you're not running powerfully towards something. So that's exactly what you're talking about. Take that leap, like move with tenacity towards the thing instead of just away. And I'm also visualizing that probably at that time, it felt like, wow, we either need to divide our efforts because they, I'm sure they weren't ready to shut down the whole chemicals and, you know, (laughs) the the paper and all of that, you know, how do we divide our resources into these two tracks and, and, um, and hard to visualize like a whole new future, really. So right. oh. it, 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 abso- it absolutely is. And so in, in my book, I actually talk about how do we prepare ourselves to take these courageous leaps? Because what we need to recognize is this adversity fear paralysis cycle. It, it's part of life. It's going to happen again and again and again. And when we hit these times of adversity, how do we prepare ourselves to, to be in, in, in the best position to take those courageous leaps. And I think there are certain capabilities that we need to be developing all the time that we then leverage at those times. So in, as I said, I think there are 11 of them. One of them I talk about is this notion of being boxed in in your thinking versus out of the box mm-hmm. thinking. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you another story. So um, you mentioned that I have, you know, had a very long corporate career before I started my executive coaching and public speaking practice. Um, one of the companies that I worked in during that career was a company called Columbia House, which is, you know, yet another company that no longer exists. And Columbia House was in the business back in the day, if we're, if, if those of us are old enough, that sold CDs and records and before that even eight-track tapes through the mail. We're, we're, are, are you of the age demographic? I am, um, yes, Columbia absolutely. <laughs> so I, I, I learned to always ask that because I was on a stage not long ago, and I, I just said, you know, do you, do you remember Columbia House as part of my talk? And a young woman in the front of the eight stage said, no. And I realized, <laughs> wow, it's happened. Yes, <laughs> we've gotten to that age. <laughs> there we have. But back in the day when I were, I led a marketing. And you find yourself saying house. those things too. <laughs> back exactly, in the day. Exactly. All right. So continue. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I led a marketing function at Columbia House, and I had a peer at Columbia House who, um, she was a young woman. She, um, you know, we were both in our, you know, you know, late twenties at this point. We're both newly out of out of MBA school. And this was, you know, back in the back in the you know mid '90s, uh, where she thought that you know what Columbia House needed to start paying attention to this newfangled internet thing mm-hmm. because it was it was going to impact our business, and she could not get anybody at the company to listen to her. Um, you know, they the Columbia House felt very strongly that we the company had been around for a long time. We in, were the leaders in the mail order music business at the time, and we had cracked the code. We knew how to do it. And the, the, the problem was the company suffered from what I call boxed in thinking, which means that when those disruptions hit, you're not able to think in terms other than what you've already seen. Mm. 
And probably the, the biggest wall in that box is being absolutely convinced that you are the expert. And the key to being able to make, one of the keys to being able to make these courageous leaps is to break out of that box in thinking mentality and go to what I call out of the box thinking. And possibly your biggest tool to achieve out of the box thinking is actually curiosity. Mm. To, to be able to swap this notion of expertise, I am the expert, with the notion of curiosity or beginner's mind. To always think, what might I not know? Yeah, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time, but what might I not know? Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I the also the questions coming to mind, like, what if? What if yeah. things go in this other direction? What would yeah. I need to know to continue to be an expert in right. that field? Exactly. Yeah. Or, but she's from completely outside of this industry. Not to think, well, she doesn't know. Yeah. But think what might she know that I don't know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're wanting me. You're, you're really, I'm, I'm anxious to hear. Can you share a couple more of your 11? Sure. Need to know. So yeah. you're, you know, I, the, one of the, one of the things I talk to people about all the time. So I like this notion of, you know, everything's about this notion of courageous leaps and like, how do we make these courageous leaps? There's another thing that's coming up, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be writing an article about this soon. There have been a lot of courageous leaps that people are taking out of the disruption caused by COVID-19, and like you were alluding to some of those. People tend to, to also think that, like, you know, okay, great. You know, I responded well to fear. I thought out of the box, and I took this courageous leap towards an opportunity. People think that like it's going to be this smooth leap, and you're just going to sail right over to what that next opportunity is. And it doesn't actually work like that. It's kind of this U-shaped thing. So, so what I call it is it's about learning to have the power of persistence. And I actually think that when we take these courageous leaps, there are a number of steps, including what I call the fall. And what, one of the things I, I, I reference all the time is, you know, I work with a lot of people who either change jobs or got, you know, have recently changed jobs, perhaps got a new promotion that they've been working on for a long time. And like at first it feels great, right? So you're in this new company, you're at this like super senior level and like, how did they ever do without me? How did, you know, how did I ever do without them? And then suddenly the honeymoon ends and it doesn't feel so great. And then the problems start to come up. Mm -hmm. And then people start to think, you know, maybe I shouldn't have taken this leap. Maybe I should go back. And the, 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 the challenge that people run into is I call it foreclosing on your courageous leap before you've given enough, give it enough time. Mm. And, and what's underneath there is that I call it the power of persistency. So what are the things we need to summon in ourselves such that we have that persistency to see us through that entire courageous leap, through the fall, through there's another stage of taking a courageous leap I call the struggle. And then there's learning that goes on because of the struggle. And then you start to achieve. And sometimes you achieve an opportunity that wasn't originally obvious to you because you had to struggle through the first part of the leap in order to find the opportunity. I like that. I, I, um, it's also bringing to mind, I think one of the things, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure this is part of your 11 steps, but when people, I always say like, I'm so visual and like when we're ready to make a big decision, I always picture that you're standing on the edge of this huge field 
and it's unknown. Um, Mm -hmm. And the one is that that decision is pending because where you are isn't the ultimate right decision, you know, but it's just getting prepared to take that first step. And also, I think the human brain starts to feel like that the decision that you make now, you can't make any transitions along the way. So, and I'm guessing in that maybe that element of struggle is where you make the tweaks or the learning that happens. So it's, uh, you know, we think like, oh, I have to have it all figured out and, and move with perfection into it. But no, what you're saying is the persistence and then there will be struggling. But once you're in it, now you can learn because you can't what if your way into anticipating and planning for every possible experience that you might have if you say yes to the first step. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that, that, is, that is absolutely true, Kirsten. So, you know, there are two, there, it's almost like two dimensions that, that I talk about it in. So you're, you're going to take a leap and you're going to learn things that you could not possibly know from where you're standing. Yeah. And the other thing that's going to happen is life's going to happen around you. The world is going to change around you, which is also going to teach you new lessons. And, you know, part of, you know, part of what you make me think about is actually a big part of my impetus for writing this book because as, as I mentioned, like, you know, my life journey, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, this book is about my life journey. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about me. So what, what you do know is that, you know, I, I run my own business and I come from a very long corporate career. I, you know, I spent most of my time with companies like American Express and Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, and you, you've already heard about Columbia House. So, you know, very, very, very big things. I, I have an MBA from New York University, and my undergrad was actually in electrical and computer engineering from Cornell University. But this path, based on where I come from, was a very, very unlikely one. Um, I, I, which, which you cannot see over this um, the podcast is I'm an African-American man. Um, I actually grew up in a very poor part of New York City in the 1970s. Um, My mother was a single mother um, who raised two kids on her own. She worked unbelievably hard, um, like literally 12, 16-hour days were the the norm for her. Um, But, you know, despite that, she struggled financially. And there were literally times where we did without things like heat or electricity simply because she needed to make a decision about whether to pay the bills or feed us. And, you know, better to be cold and hungry than to be hungry. Um, So... Um, or rather, better to be cold and not hungry than to, to than to be to be hungry. Um, so it was a lot of really tough times, and uh, a lot of this book is about the lessons I learned along the way, and and what I found, you know, when I when I left that, you know, was fortunate to leave that neighborhood um, and to you know to go off to get an Ivy League degree, and what I found through school and through my subsequent corporate career was that. The struggles of that early life were what gave me the the things I needed to be successful in the corporate world. Because a lot of what I faced um, in the corporate world, you know, was as tough it may, as, and competitive as it may have been, was was did not compare to what I had grown up with. Because you know, no matter how bad it got in the day at the office, I was going home to a place that was warm and safe, which was more than I'd had before. Um, but what you make me think about this. Because in in that early part of my life, there was so much that I didn't know. And all I could do was take the steps that would get me out of that financial situation. Mm. But I didn't really know what life would look like 
at the next step in the process. So I couldn't have made perfect decisions. I could only make the best decision. Mm, like as mm -hmm. it turned out, I, I got a degree in electrical and computer engineering because it seemed to me like that was the best economic path at the time. As it turned out, after three years in engineering school, I realized, you know what? I really actually don't want to do this for a living, <laughs> but this is a great degree and I've already done the hard part. So I'm getting that degree, but I'm going to use it to make a different pivot Yeah, because of things that I could not have known, you know, as a 16, 17 year old, but, but as a, you know, as a 21 year old, I did know. And then, you know, now as a, as a 58 year old, there are many things I know that I did not know as a 21 year old, but you can't know it until you take that leap, until life happens around you, and until you learn some of those lessons. But that's not a reason not to take the leap. Did, did, did that all make sense to you? That was kind of a long story there. Oh, no, that was beautiful. And I'm so glad that you shared that. And it is also bringing to mind, uh, not only to, yes, to start the journey, take the steps. And I love the, uh, you know, you only know, you only knew what you knew. <laughs> And so, mm -hmm. uh, so I think another lesson in there is, which, and kudos for, I mean, all the, uh, you know, your success and everything you've done with life from, from those beginnings. Uh, but also I think there's, because, and I'm sure you've seen this too, get, uh, clients that then beat themselves up or humans, even not even just people that we're working mm -hmm. with, but that want to beat themselves up about decisions they made in the past. But it's give grace because you were doing, you know, so you could beat yourself up about like, you know, and waste energy on the frustration of getting a degree that, you know, ultimately wasn't aligned with your passions, et cetera. But, um, but my goodness, it, it, it took you where you needed to go and was a step in the right direction. It wasn't maybe perfectly step, but it was a step forward. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you mentioned the, the notion of like people who beat themselves up, which I, 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 find all the time. The, the other thing, which, which is another um, of these dimensions, I call them of, of developing a thriving mindset is this, this notion I call thriving through failure. Mm. So there, there, are, there, are, there are two things that, that happen that are suboptimal for thriving um, through disruption. Um, people who beat themselves up and people who don't take risks because they're afraid of failing. Like, so I once worked with actually a very senior leader who at the first meeting told me I have never failed at anything, which I thought, hmm, this yeah. is going to be an experience. Um, <laughs> and, and it was, um, as it turned out, he was actually like a, a disastrous leader. Um, he would blame his people. He led an organization that was ruled by fear because you know what? He wasn't going to fail in anything. So, you know, I'll, I'll take you down, um, but, but I'm not going to fail. Yeah, we're, we're not um, dubbing this. We're not putting this in my checkbox scorecard. That, that, that's, that's it exactly. And, you know, this was not someone who ultimately did well um, and certainly not someone who was able to thrive through disruptive times and certainly not someone who um, I think would do well right now. Um, there, there's a completely different view of failure. Um, I think that failure is a teacher. And it's if, if, if you have not failed, if you can truly tell me you have not failed ever at anything, then, you know, one of two things is going wrong. Um, either you're, you're in denial, which means you cannot learn from your failures, or you're not pushing yourself enough. So you, you haven't maximized your growth. Um, the, the, I think the real skill is to start to think of our lives and the, the courageous leaps we, we take in terms of 
smart experiment and how to have what I call smart failures, which are not the times when we we beat each beat ourselves up or, or beat other people up because of a failure, but the times where we're able to have a quote failure and to really embrace it and learn about learn from it and think of it as a teacher and to be be okay with that. To to recognize that the act of failing is not a, an indictment of your character. The act of failing at something that you really put your put your all into means that you pushed yourself. And now how do you learn the lessons and come back even stronger the next time? Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, great words of wisdom for sure. So uh, what I, I need to ask, what moved you from corporate world into executive coaching, authoring, speaking, all of that? Was there a catalyst or was it? Yeah, well, you know what? I, I think it's all about this journey of life and learning. So I, I you know, as I said, I spent nearly 30 years in the corporate world. Um, it, it was a great life for me at the time. Um, there were many things that I was building in that in that life that I did not have before, one, one of which was, you know, financial capital, uh, which is like another part of the thriving mindset. I think that we need to develop a healthy relationship with money. And, you know, that, that's something I talk about at length in the book. I think many people People don't have a healthy relationship with money. Note, I'm not saying becoming rich. Mm -hmm. I'm saying developing a healthy relationship with money because that's one of the things that helps us thrive through disruptive times. Um, And but you know what? I, I felt I got to the point where I felt I had done everything I wanted to do. On my corporate journey, I was I had also reached 50 age 50 by that point. Um, and I think that's a great time to reflect. Um, my my um, husband and I were were also at a who was also reaching 50 at the same time. We had reached a point in life where we thought we wanted to make a real change. We actually made a geographic shift. We um, moved from New York City to Boulder, Colorado. We we're both outdoor enthusiasts, you know, runners and cyclists and hikers. And when we were were young and skiers, when we were younger triathletes, but we're not we're not we're not doing so much of that anymore as we head in towards sixty. Um, but we we just wanted a different lifestyle, so we we had had researched a lot of areas for you know the the better part of three years and landed on Boulder, Colorado, and we were both at kind of that point in our lives where we're like, okay, so do we keep doing what we're doing or we do something else? And we took a courageous leap. Um, I left the corporate world. He had a very high end nonprofit leadership job. We left that um, and decided we wanted to try a different lifestyle. Um, I really felt like I had done everything in the corporate life that I that I wanted to do. And people had been talking to me for years about executive coaching. You really ought to be a coach. And I, I you know, I, I have a degree in engineering, so it, it was way too touchy feely for me. But for the first time, I thought, you know what? Let me think about this. And quickly, after my coaching practice started, um, something that happened was I got some clients who had actually been former employees of mine. And I realized, you know what? Our relationship hasn't changed. Like, I'm doing the same thing I did when you worked for me. This is why people have been telling me I ought to be a coach, mm-hmm. because I have been managing people. But, you know, I was the I was the manager where everybody had very well thought out individual development plans. I had, you know, it, you know, development planning meetings with my people every month because I thought, like, this is what you do. 
Um, and I realized that my passion through all those years had always been developing people rather than managing people. You know, I was a good manager. Um, you know, they paid me a lot of money to do it. So, you know, I, I did it and did a good job, but it was never my passion. My passion was helping my people develop into whatever they wanted to be. And so now I do that full time. Um, the the public speaking happened because um, public speaking was what I used to do my business development early on in my coaching practice. And I realized, oh, I'm good at it. I actually really like this. People want me to do it. And by the way, I have a platform that I want to speak about. I, I love this notion of thriving through disruption. So that became my speaking platform. And, um, you know, writing was possibly the, the, the most interesting part of it. So w one of the things I talk about in um, the, the book is this notion of something I call um, developing intellectual capital. And, um, you know, intellectual capital, you know, in, in a lot of ways is very much like financial health or financial capital. It's something we invest in and that at times of disruption allows us to take those courageous leaps. When I first started my coaching practice, um, people told me that I needed to write a blog as part of my coaching practice. And, and I thought, oh gosh, really? Like how long uh, do blogs <laughs> are need to be? I'm like, you know, well, Jerry, you know, four, 400 to like 1200 words, like, wow, like how often? Once a month? Really? Oh gosh. All right. I guess I can do that. Um, and so I started writing in my blog and I, because again, you know, undergrad in, in, in engineering, I haven't written, I haven't taken an English class since high school. And I slowly started to realize, you know what? I don't hate this. Writing thing. <laughs> you, you know what? I actually kind of like this writing thing. Um, it, it went on. I, um, a friend of mine had a, a, that I was still living in Boulder, Colorado at the time. A friend of mine had a connection with the local paper, the Boulder daily camera. Um, they, they mentioned, no, Jerry, you, you're a, you're a person from a diverse background. You have very unique opinions. Perhaps you'd care to, um, write an article for the, the daily camera. And I, I, I contacted the editor and said, you know, I'm not, I'm not a writer. And, um, by the way, I actually have dyslexia. So I'd always thought I can't be a writer because, you know, my spelling is terrible and it's always going to be terrible. Um, and the, the editor sent me a note back. I'd send him a sample article. And I was like, you know what, if this is the way you write, like, I don't care about your typos. I'll, I fix typos all day. If this is the way you write, rather than write an article, I'd prefer for you to write a column for us um, once a month. And so it blossomed into a column. And then I started writing articles for some magazines and realized, oh, and I hired a writing coach because I realized, you know what? In order to build my business, I need to learn how to write, like not from the standpoint of grammar and punctuation, but I need to understand like what this writing thing is. And that ultimately led to a book. But the, but the, the, I think the lesson behind here is like, no matter what um, the path that we're on, no matter what that courageous leap we're taking, this notion of developing intellectual capital is something we always need to do. Like, so for me at that point, it was about, okay, how do I become a writer? How do I get the trainings, you know, at, you know, in my fifties now, such that I can write. It was important. And I think we all need to be doing that investment in intellectual capital at, at all times.
So I love that, uh, obviously, it, like everything that you're illustrating now through your own personal story is that you absolutely are taking these courageous leaps and, uh, and tweaking as you go and focusing on the impact that you'd like to make and adding to your intellectual capital along the way. And um, so I thank you so much. And not to mention where you've come from uh, to all that you've achieved and, uh, yeah, your tenacity or persistence, as you would say, uh, as an entrepreneur, as first a professional and then entrepreneur. So uh, thank you so much uh, for joining well, me today. You. And you shared so much value. Uh, I am very intrigued and can't wait to see the full 11 <laughs> uh, pillars <laughs> or steps in in um, in the in the courageous leap. But uh Again, everyone, uh, please connect with Jerry. You can find uh, information about him and his book by going to jerryvalentine.com forward slash book. And that's G-E-R-R-Y and then Valentine. And you'll also be able to find that link on the show notes for the for today's episode, along with his uh, social media, LinkedIn and, and Twitter uh, links. So uh, today's episode will be at defeatthedrama.com. Click on the podcast tab and go to episode number 199. So thank you so much, Jerry. And if you're a leader who's having difficulty getting your team to follow through, I'm going to encourage you to grab the gift that I've been giving for years now. Uh, the Six Simple Steps of Great Delegation. And you can grab that by going to defeatthedrama.com forward slash delegation sheet. So thank you, Jerry, so much for joining me today. Thank you, Kristen. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Yeah, well, and I wish you such great success with the book. I can't wait until it comes out. I know, well, by the time this airs, it's out and uh, doing very, very well. We all know that. Yep. <laughs> so... Thank you, Kristen. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Take care.